0: Hi there, this is City Book and Company, a chatty little podcast that dishes and dotes on the upstarts, icons, dreamers, and doers of Houston, the most fascinating city in America. I'm Jeff Grimignon, the editor of Houston City Book Magazine and HoustonCityBook.com, and I'm your host. Welcome to City Book & Company. Today, we are talking with two of the most talked-about rising star chefs in Houston and the wild 12 months they've been through at their restaurants, as everyone in the hospitality industry has been through. A lot to talk about with them about that. Austin Waiter is his name. He's the executive chef at Tony's, which, of course, is one of the city's oldest and most celebrated fine dining restaurants. He'll have a lot to say, not only about staying afloat through covid but about the legacy of the great Tony Vallone, the founder of Tony's, who passed away in September, and we have Mayank Iswald. He's the executive chef of Musafer, which is one of Houston's newest and trendiest restaurants. What a wild journey he's had! His palatial Indian restaurant in the Galleria took two years to open. And when it finally did, just after the lockdowns began in March, it had to shut down immediately because someone on the team there got COVID. So the roller coaster that he's been through trying to get a fancy new sprawling Indian restaurant open in the gallery during a pandemic has been quite a story. And we're going to talk all about that. I should note right off the top, we are taping today in the Giorgetti, which is a beautiful new residential condo building in the Upper Kirby area. It is the first project of the Giorgetti Furniture Company, which is a 125-year-old Italian furniture line, very fancy, high-end stuff. And this is their first partnership with any residential developer anywhere in the world, and they have done it right here in Upper Kirby in Houston. It's a gorgeous building, and we're honored to be able to be taping our podcast here today. I also want to introduce my guest co-host today, Kate McLean. Hi, Kate. Hey. Kate was the ideal person Bring in today to to help me with this interview because she's both the chef in her own right She actually worked with austin at tony's once upon a time and lately is a journalist who's she's written for me at city book She's written for other publications and uh, we're talking about both food related content and also hard news She even has her own podcast as well. It's called pre-shift She was the first ever female executive chef at tony's which may be the most important restaurant in texas Okay, now you do a lot of reporting uh, and content creation. Let me ask you this question. Yes. Do you see yourself now as a chef who does journalism or journalist who cooks?
1: I know. Thank you, Jeff, for having me. I'm excited to be here. To answer that question, you know, I'm a curious person. So I think of having tools and being a chef and then being passionate about writing are two tools that I've I've worked hard to, you know, kind of – Embrace. I, I like creating within different mediums and I, I feel very uh, blessed that people have, like you, have allowed me to, you know, screw up and, and learn and, <laughs> and try in other ways. But yeah, I just love to work and cooking and writing are definitely top two.
0: You have another passion that we've, we've talked about a bit, which is you've become increasingly concerned about what's known as food deserts in the city. First of all, tell folks that may not be familiar with the term what that means and what's the status of that issue and what's going on.
1: So yeah, thank you. I did a report on a shooting at a convenience store last June. And as I was there kind of trying to collect interviews, you couldn't help but realize that everyone from the neighborhood came to this convenience store for something a food desert is essentially, it is a desert where it is hard to find food. So that's essentially, I mean, if you look at, I did some research on this within our city because Houston has food deserts and there's a lot of people that are doing great things about that right and this now. this means you
0: can't get food at a grocery store. There aren't restaurants. I mean, any options to getting food is limited in these places.
1: Yeah. So it's neighborhoods where it's fast food dense and there's a lack of grocery stores. So what people have to do in these communities is they either, maybe they have a family dollar nearby that sells some produce or they're going to the convenience stores. Maybe they have to borrow a car to get there. It's very sparse in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, in eight zip codes South of downtown, there are 110 fast food locations and only seven Kroger fiestas and those are spread on the outskirts of that area If you look within the loop within three zip codes, there are 11 grocery stores So it's hard to find food out there,
0: you know And it's so disparate because I live not far from where we're taping right now in montrose And there's within about eight or ten blocks of my house. There's two whole foods There's an heb. There's a trader joe's. There's a kroger I think there used to be two Kroger's, but they closed one of them. They used to be a Randall's, but that's now a Target, which also has groceries. Yeah. So some places in the city are just almost overly dense, it seems, with particularly grocery stores. And then yet there are neighborhoods that have a hard time getting healthy food.
1: Yeah. So it's really, especially during the pandemic, been a huge concern getting food to people in these food deserts. And there's a lot of people in the city that are doing amazing things. One person i like to talk about is Chef Chris Williams. Yeah. If you go to Lucille's1913.org, you can check it all out. But he created this nonprofit, Lucille's 1913. He's the chef owner of Lucille's. And he is getting prepared, delicious meals into these neighborhoods. To date, he's already done 100,000 meals. Wow. And today, we're taping on Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And he's getting 3,000 meals today out to I believe three different neighborhoods. So it it's amazing if if you are inclined, please donate money to this. Also the Houston Food Bank, of course, is uh who I very lucky to have contra I, I did some contract work with them throughout the fall running their neighborhood super sites. So those are their largest distribution sites. And thousands of cars, Jeff, thousands of cars every week. And these are people that are having to choose between making a rent payment and what they're going to eat, what they're going to serve their kids. So the Houston food bank's done a a huge job. If you are inclined, please donate to them. There is a need right now. And I just trying to spread awareness and
0: thank you. Thank you so much for what you're doing and bringing that to our attention. Definitely a need there. Something we want to all keep an eye on. We are going to take a very short break to hear from a much appreciated sponsor. After that, Kate and I will get cooking with Austin and Mayank. With interest rates being as low as they are, like so many other Americans, I recently refinanced my home. I shopped around a lot of the big national mortgage companies and the big banks, and I thought I'd do myself the favor of checking out a local Houston-based company too. I was delighted when Envoy Mortgage not only found the best deal for me, but made it all so easy. Nice Houston folks held my hand through the entire process most of which I was able to do from my house. It was convenient because you can automatically connect your bank statements, your tax records, and your income documentation right from your phone or your tablet or your laptop. You don't have to worry all the time about how it's going as the process goes along because you get updated on each step of the process and receive video guides and helpful articles along the way. And it's pretty darn fast. Envoy's loan origination and underwriting is all done under one roof, which means your loan moves quickly. Envoy can help you whether you're buying a new home or refinancing. They even have special programs for first-time home buyers and veterans. Envoy Mortgage wants you to love your mortgage experience. Check them out at EnvoyMortgage.com and tell them Jeff from Citibook sent you. And now back to our show. So Austin, I'm going to start with a probably kind of a dumb question for you. First of all, let me note that for a person who works in the food industry in Texas, the name Austin waiter is a terrible mistake.
2: Yeah. It gets complicated when I'm on the phone with purveyors (laughs) and I'm saying I'm Austin from Tony's in Houston. It really confuses them.
0: You have very little to do with it though. So, you know, hard to hold you responsible. The question I have for you, you know, I've been writing, I've been going to Tony's for a long time. Think of it as one of the best restaurants in the world. And i always enjoyed eating there. Long relationship with Tony Vallone, who we'll talk about in a bit. But uh, how do you describe what Tony's is? Because it's an Italian restaurant, sort of. Also, very classic fine dining. Also, an emphasis on reinvention and doing new things constantly, too. That's kind of a lot to put in two or three words if you're going to sort of categorize a restaurant. How do you explain to people what Tony's is?
2: I think we're a modern Italian restaurant, but what makes us so interesting and unique is we're willing to make a dish that we had on the menu 30 years ago. And if you call ahead and we have time to get it in, we're going to make it happen. And, you know, what's printed on the actual menu is not, you know, our limitations that we're really – a well-rounded restaurant that can do just about anything if we are given a little bit of time to produce it So I think, you know, we're always on our toes trying to keep up with everyone and all
0: what they want Tony used to be very big about making that same case that whatever it is that you want Tony's will make it happen. That can't be literally true though There must be times when someone comes in and says I want fried ostrich something smothered in something and you just can't pull that out of the fridge
2: For sure. I mean, there's (laughs) definitely limitations to ostrich, of course, but, um, you know, if we're given the time to do it, you know, our first answer is always, yes, uh, we can do it. There might be, Hey, I need a week to import this or give me some time and I'm going to find this, but we're going to do it for you. And, um, you know, we try not to say no as much as we possibly can, but you know, there are limitations to, you know, we want to stay true to who we are and, And what we do. And, you know, that's our main focus.
0: Tell folks a little bit about your background. You're not from here. You're, I think you're a New Yorker, are you? Connecticut. So,
2: you know, I was born in Ohio, grew up in Connecticut, um, spent a lot of time in New York. It was about 50 minutes from where I lived uh, into New York city. So spent a lot of time there, went to culinary school in upstate New York after a short stint playing lacrosse in college and kind of found cooking to be my niche. And, you know, it's true. If you really love what you do every single day, you know, you're not really working. And so after that, went to culinary school, interned actually at Tony's. This was probably eight or nine years ago for about four months. And then come graduation, kind of the big decision of what to do. Do you go to New York? Do you go to California? And I saw Houston as an opportunity with the food scene, how great it is here and how up and coming it is. Moved down here and know, haven't one. looked back. This is... It'll be seven years in May. so seven years been down here in Houston didn't plan on staying this long, but you no know one ever it does. It drew, drew me in and <laughs> can't get away now.
0: How does a lacrosse player become not not to discriminate against lacrosse players? What do I know? but how does a lacrosse player become a chef and where where did that inspiration come from?
2: So, you know, my mom's always been a cook. She's always cooked for us. I have a twin brother and, you know, it was, a, it was a full-time job trying to cook for us and keep us fed. Um, so she was always in the kitchen. We always had a little interest just because we were trying to eat more. And so going from that to kind of a break from lacrosse, worked in a catering kitchen actually in Stanford, Connecticut. And that's kind of really where I found that, you know, I really enjoy this. I really love the challenges it brings, and and it's rewarding. And then decided to go to culinary school after that and never looked back.
0: Mike, how did you get into cooking? Where did that impulse come from you? And tell folks a little bit about your background. You're from even further away. You're from really, really, really far east Texas.
3: Oh, yes. So I come from India. The foothills of the Himalayas, the northern part of India, So my father, he used to own a catering business. So I got into cooking when I was eight years old, and he wanted me to take care of the business in the future when I grew up. So why he wanted me to cook was so that I can have more respect for the cooks in the future. And when I turned 16, I told him, you know, this is what I love, and I want to pursue my career as a professional chef. And that got me started. And then my mom supported me. My dad didn't. (laughs) (laughs) I was the only son, so... That was something that you know. My, all, my mom was always my anchor. And she said, you go ahead, chase your dreams. Then I went to a culinary school and I won a chef competition, all India level, 29 states, 29 institutes. So that set the bar right there. And then it all started, worked in India, uh, worked in Australia, New Zealand, French Polynesia, trained in Europe for some time. Then worked with the company in uh, West Africa, Central Africa, was on my journey to Turkey like seven times. It fascinates me. Uh, and then, of course, I was in Mexico City for four months as well. So I've been traveling a lot with the food and uh, being a food historian, I understand the spices very well because spices change the history of the world. So, so That's <laughs> true. I, I'm a big time spice lover and uh, as I come from India, so there are a lot of native spices, and specifically black pepper, as you know, changed the history of the world, as I said. Uh, for that matter, Christopher Columbus, the sailor, he came to Bahamas and West Indies and he found America. That's what people say. But he was looking for India, actually. And that's the reason the natives here are known as Indians, because we're looking for India. And what actually changed the history was when he, was, he came here, he was looking for uh, black pepper, and he could not, black, could not find black pepper here. And he found the chilies. And chilies were the fruit in the 14th century. It was never called as spices. And he tricked everybody because he started thinking. He was an Italian, uh, for that matter. And uh, he was hired by the Spaniards, right? So he tricked everybody. He just gave a new name to the chilies. He called it chili pepper. The moment he did that, overnight, beautiful serrano chilies became serrano pepper. And now there's a confusion all around. People don't know how to address food, like in terms of spice. level. Everything is spicy for people. But there's a difference between spicy and chili hot food. And I face that problem. I've been facing it for being, we're working in an Indian restaurant. So a lot of uh, uh, guests, they come in, they ask for, like, can you make my food less spicy? And, and you know, a message comes to me. How can I make my flavorful food less flavorful? You know, because vanilla is also a spice. So vanilla ice cream, if you say that vanilla ice cream is very spicy, if I tell you that, you will think that I'm crazy. But I'm not. Vanilla's, vanilla is a spice. My ice cream is super flavorful. That's what I call it, spicy. So there is a confusion all around the world that needs to be addressed now. So this is how uh, we are training our staff in the restaurant. And and we tell them, you know, in a nicer way, you can correct the guest always. There's a difference between chili hot and spicy food. Let me ask you a question
0: about, you obviously have a a lot of knowledge about food history writ large. I'm curious about your own food history. And I I actually want... Kate and Austin to answer this question too. Is there a time or, or is there a dish that you remember making as a kid or yeah. that your mom made or some, were you, I guess it would be something that you made or, or tried to make your own where you thought, damn, I'm good at this. And I can, I think I can do this for a living. Is there,
3: is there a particular dish
0: that comes to mind if I ask that question?
3: So uh, there are quite a few actually. <laughs> so we just launched a, a soup in the restaurant that looks exactly like ramen. It is known as thuppa. So thuppa actually made its way to India from a Tibetan, Tibetan influence and a Nepalese influence in the northern part of India. And it's so healthy. And all the ingredients that, that are used in the soup is absolutely amazing. And people also say that it has aphrodisiac properties. So all, all those mm. ingredients that that's being used in the soup. And it's not heavier on the palate. It's so subtle and, and so easy that, you know, uh, you can consume that soup like in the afternoon or for dinner as well. Super light, and it's a noodle soup, and it is known as thuppa. And we just launched that uh, in our menu. And, and this I, was I the dish you recipe. made. As a,
0: this was the dish you made as a child.
3: Yes, as uh, we used to own a catering business, so yes, I used to make. And another dish that is there in the menu, you know. So I always make my dishes in the menu, taking inspiration from my nostalgia because nostalgia is always in your head in a dormant stage. And whenever you eat something, you know, if I go to Tony's, you know, as Austin is here, and if I eat something, something with the tomato sauce, you know, there are so many flavors that are bridging all around the cuisine. And and just the, it's just the spark that, you know, brings out that nostalgia life. And that happens to me all the time. So we were doing our brainstorming session for our winter menu, and there was, I, I was just tasting... Cream, actually. You know how cream in United States is different and India is different. So we boil the milk.
1: Are you talking about the malai,
3: malai that you put you on there? Malai. you try that
1: at the restaurant? Malai? I've what? had malai popsicles before. Have you tried those before? No, I haven't tried them yet. They're, they're delicious because it tastes kind of, it. Ta- it's a reduced cream. And I know, you, I saw that you're doing it in a more savory exactly, yes. presentation. So yeah. I was really curious about that.
3: So that's my grandmother right there. Her, uh, this is, you know, her memories are so much in my head that, you know, I remember uh, uh, it was a winter vacation because I come from the northern part of India, Himalayan. We always had, like, winter vacation and the summer vacation. The winter vacation was for at least one month. And all my cousins, I grew up in a farm, so all my cousins used to visit our farm in the winters. And my grandmother, I used to remember, uh, she used to boil the milk because it was the fresh milk from the farms. You have to always boil the milk. And there is a thick cream that is there on top. She used to keep collecting that cream for, like, 15 days, And when the bowl was full, she used to make a savory preparation called Malaiki sabzi, with the onions and the ginger, because perfect, and turmeric, perfect for the winters. All those spices are so medicinal. And uh, that was so strong. I said, let me make a dish that revolves around cream, the Malai. And that's what we do in the restaurant. So one dish is so complex. There's a Malai sabzi, then it's burnt Malai sand, a texture of that. We also play with different textures in the food. And the broccoli is marinated with a spice malai marination. And when you boil the milk, as I said, there's a thin uh, layer as well sometimes. That is the milk uh, skin, I would say. We take that skin out and we dehydrate it into a dehydrator and then put some spices on top. Believe me, it it is an explosion of flavors and the texture is right there. And that's what umami is. Cool. Explosion of flavors on your tongue. So this is how I, I see my grandmother alive in my memories. Wow. It's amazing. Kate, what was That's the dish, is there in, a dish that you remember life.
0: making as a, uh, early on where you yeah. thought, I'm really, I can do this?
1: Wow, Jeff, I was sitting here thinking I, I, I don't, I really got into cooking in college. And so I usually, I wasn't in the kitchen much, but I do remember when I was little, I had this imaginary friend, Bernard. And, uh, (laughs) I liked cooking for him. So he ate, I would make him a bowl of water and crushed eggshells. My mom would use the eggshells and I'd put it outside. And so I liked cooking for him. (laughs) And, uh, I, you know, I really just like cooking for people. So I guess, and I love to eat, but I don't have a cool one like that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Austin, what's your origin story?
2: Well, so growing up, I had a terrible palate, I would eat a pound of boiled pasta, I didn't even want butter on it, I don't want olive oil on it, it was just pure carb intake, and I think as I grew up, and you know, my mom put more stuff in front of me, and, and forced me to try new things, that's kind of how my palate has, you know, developed within this, so I think, you know, growing up cooking, and loving the kitchen itself, the food has grown on me, and that's kind of, you know, I didn't grow up cooking myself, we would boil pasta. And then, you know, from there it took off and kind of more interested in what my grandmother and my mother were baking and, and everyone else around us. So that kind of grew on us. So boiled pasta is kind of like my, that was my childhood, but it's really, obviously now I'm open to eat anything and everything that I can get my hands on and constantly just be learning.
0: So, she
1: so, he has an excellent palate
0: when did you learn that you had an excellent palate? When did you, at what point did you say, cause it wasn't boiled pasta. At some point you made something where you thought I know how to cook.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think it was, you know, when I was at the catering company and I think catering is such an interesting, you know, part of our business, it really keeps you on your toes. It's not like you're in a restaurant with everything around you. When you're at someone's house, you have to make sure you're prepared and you make sure you have everything. But I think at that catering company, when you're able to customize something for someone and and just be able to cook, you know, on a large scale. So I think, you know, I I think I created a like a salad dressing for a new salad when I was at the catering company. I thought it was groundbreaking and it was just simple, but simple, good ingredients is always, you know, the key to just bring back food memories.
0: So I want to ask you a question about Actually, both of you have been through, every chef in the country has been through a wild year, and, and you guys come from sort of different perspectives. Austin, you're the executive chef of one of the most storied and famous restaurants in Houston, and Mayak, you're the executive chef at one of the newest and trendiest restaurants in Houston, but boy, did you both have challenges to sort through over the past 12 months. Austin, you had a, another level because the creator and founder and namesake of Tony's Tony Valone passed away in September and uh, I wanted to, to ask you Who was Tony Valone? How do we describe his role in food world in Houston? And what was your relationship like with
2: him? He was so talented he was always driving for something new there was never a day or a time of the day that he never was texting me or calling or Hey, I want this product. And so there was never a dull moment with him. There was never, okay, I think we're good. It's constantly evolving with the times, with seeing new things and doing research. You know, he was constantly looking stuff up, looking for new ingredients. Hey, Austin, you know, what do the purveyors have this week? What haven't we used? And I think that was what really drew me in to him is, you know, I would bring this something crazy to him and I'd say, Oh, I think this is going to be cool. He's like, have you tried it? And I said, no. He said, okay, get it here and let's see if it makes sense. And I think that, um, ability just to take everything head on. And he, that's what he would do. He would, he would make a decision. He wouldn't look back. He would just go for it. And I think that's what, um, really made him, you know, not hesitating on anything, just going for it. And, you know, that's the only way you're going to, you know, progress is to fail sometimes, you know, um, There's been plenty of dishes that have gone in the trash can over the years. And, uh, and you know, he was never scared to show his opinion of, you know, I don't think this is going to work. Let's just scrap it and let's start over on something else. So I think um, his ability just
0: to keep learning and moving forward was really unique. And this is a man who was in the restaurant pretty much every day for well more than 50 years. I mean, he, he wasn't just the namesake and... He was extremely engaged and and very present,
2: yes, I mean, he was there every single day. You walk through that door and he's sitting at his table, ready to take the day on, which is just amazing that dedication to you know his restaurant, what he lived for, which is truly it's just inspiring to see you know someone that owned the restaurant in there every single day. Um, You go to a lot of bigger restaurants and you hear of the name, but you've never seen them in that restaurant. You hear of Tony's, he is always there. You don't have to call ahead to make sure he was going to be there. You know, he,
0: he was just always there. So I noticed my electricity bill was getting out of hand. It was time to do that thing all we Houstonians have to do from time to time. You know what I mean? You have to go through the hassle of switching to a new provider to get a better deal And then over time, the prices creep up on you again after the contract period ends. And then you have to do the whole thing over again, all over again, sometime later. It's maddening. Thank goodness a friend told me about Real Simple Energy. This is a new company, houston Bay, started by two friendly local young professionals, Trent and Paul. They're both around 40. And what they do is find you the cheapest deals, the cheapest deals for you. They present you three options, one of which will always be green if that's important to you. You pick, and they handle the busy work of getting you switched over, you will save a ton of cash. Most folks save around 500 bucks a year. I actually think I'm going to save a little bit more than that. And the best part, when your contract ends and your prices start sneaking up on you, they get more cheap options in front of you again and do the whole process again and take care of you getting switched over the whole nine yards. Nobody else does what they do. You will never pay for electricity again. Never hassle with providers. Only deal with real simple... Set it and forget it. Never worry about this stuff again and have peace of mind. Don't let the big providers take advantage of you anymore. Sign up and start saving today at realsimpleenergy.com. And if you use promo code CityBook, you'll get an additional 50 bucks off your first bill. I also want to talk, Mayank, about some of your unique challenges. You also had kind of an epic journey over the last 12 months, Gideon Musafer opened. Musafar, in case, is it Musafar? Musafar, Musafar? Musafar. Okay. Yes. Which means traveler. Traveler. Yes. So this was a, a restaurant that was in development and under construction for two years. It's a giant restaurant, 10,000 square feet, very ambitious. You spent a lot of time traveling India to research the recipes. Uh, obviously, a lot of time and money spent in the build out of the restaurant almost all the furnishings are imported from india bit by bit highly curated this huge undertaking to bring this restaurant to life over a you know 48 month period and you opened it and then what happened like 2 days later <laughs>
3: okay let me uh, go a little back so we started training our staff members in the month of february end of february and I remember in the month of March when the lockdown was imposed. And believe me, it, it, we were right in the middle of the trainings and, uh, and, and our training program was very intense. So Mr. Malik and Mrs. Maling, the owner of the restaurants, they are very involved, passionate guys. And uh, everybody was involved during the training days. And it was so hard. Now, how do we train the staff? And how do we open the restaurant right now? And it was the month of March and everybody was here. So you hadn't chefs. opened, you were,
0: you were getting close to opening. You exactly. were training the staff.
3: Yes. And uh, we were planning that we will open in the month of March. 17th of, the March. 17th of March was the opening date. I remember, oh my God, everybody, I could see everybody, this is not happening because uh, getting everything on place, Right from the beginning, you know, as you mentioned, furnishing and everything, the furniture, the decor, everything came from India. And I went on a journey, like a 100-day journey to India, all 29 different states. And we had very good relationships with the spice growers, so no middlemen in between. So training was, now we were at home. We are not even training. All the staff was hired how in front tra- of how do you,
0: How do you train a server by Zoom?
3: Yes, we trained our server through Zoom. So I, uh, so me and my chefs, we made videos at home explaining every single spice and every single dish, the photograph of, this, uh, of the dish, yeah, you know, breaking down the elements because the food is very complex in terms of the layers of flavoring that goes into the food. It's, and, and on top of it, we use a, a molecular gastronomy. That's the part of it. And, of course, as I said, we play with different textures. And every dish has a story to it. And all these uh, names uh, of different dishes were so hard to pronounce for the the front-of-the-house servers, and they also had a hard time. So we had question-and-answer round for like two hours every single day, three hours of intense training with them, you know, sending them the videos, uh, sending them uh, voice-recorded messages about, uh, okay, if I talk about turmeric. So turmeric in Hindi means haldi, and in uh, Spanish it means curcuma. So every single ingredient, there was a voice message that was sent to everybody in a group chat. So that this training program, we invented it out of nowhere because uh, whenever there's a challenge, you, you invent a new thing. And then the restaurant opening, then, then, every, then, the, then the mayor of Texas, he announced that, yes, we can open the restaurant with 50-person occupancy. That was such a relief, believe us. And then 15 days in the kitchen, we prepped everything. We had the training program going. We made sure that everybody's tasting every single texture in the food. But we never compromised. We were working 24-7, I remember, uh, setting up the kitchen in place, a front of the house in place, so that we opened the restaurants for friends and family. And I remember when we opened the restaurant for friends and family, the system went off online. Online system went off. So we were... Suddenly, on the uh, on the printed tickets, <laughs> so it was uh, it was amazing. So people were handed in tickets, printed tickets. It was a and then, but short- still, we managed to do the uh, friends and family.
0: So you finally get to that stage.
3: Yes, and then yeah, then uh, then we started the restaurant, and uh, believe me, first week was very challenging. It was a combined effort from the entire team. Musoffer, uh, we went all out. In explaining every single dish because it, it is an alien cuisine for everybody people only relate us with curry and curry is nothing it was a curry leaf and Britishers when they were in india we just they called us the curry nation there are so many different kinds of curries in india it's 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 unbelievable people don't even know the tip of the iceberg so even so you, people so you, had a,
0: you had an extra challenge because yes. you felt you had to educate the, the staff and the and the and the diners, yes. the guests as well, on all these things. But didn't you after you after you opened, then someone got COVID and you had to, had to shut down again, right? In
3: twelve days, <laughs> in twelve days. So, so there was a, a person in the management. Uh, he got COVID, and we and we were the first restaurant to announce. So, because we believe in the honesty goes a long way, and and we just announced that we had a COVID. We have to shut down the we shut the restaurant for fourteen days. We did thorough cleaning, we got everybody tested, and, and every, all the procedures was in place. Our, our budget for the cleaning really got high. You know, everywhere, I, I mean, you know, every restaurant. We were cleaning in tents, we were taking temperatures, whatever it was required, we were doing it. So not compromising on the food quality or anything, like sanitization process went really, really up. We hired a consultant, so he made sure that everything is on place. Uh, believe me, it it was tough. And we were born in the middle of pandemic. So the, our restaurant was born in the middle of pandemic. I, I really don't know how normal, how to work in normal circumstances in Houston. I've worked in normal circumstances in, in India or in abroad, but never in Houston. So that will be a new thing for me in the future. So it's the other way around for me. It gets better. For us, yes. it'll Of, of course, it'll get better. And, you know, I I want to just throw this mask away in the future. Hey, Austin.
0: So this is what's going on at Musafir in February, March, April. What's going on at Tony's?
2: You know, I think with everybody, with the shutdown, it's kind of made everybody evolve, like you've said. Um, You know, it's brought on a lot of new challenges, but I think for the future, it'll help everybody. You know, I remember when I first started at Tony's, we were taking reservations on a giant sheet of paper, That was our reservation system we have obviously since we're on open table but you know when we shut down it's okay we're in to go mode and tony's you normally don't think of to go we've always done to go but the way they call it they just call it in we write it on a piece of paper and that's how we've always done to go because you know, we're a dine in restaurant. So switching to an online ordering platform and getting that up and running within a quick amount of time was you, definitely you t- our t- biggest me,
0: challenge. very old school, you know? Yeah. And, there. And, and you're, you really had to evolve very quickly in the ways that might've have, might've have taken years otherwise.
2: Oh, for sure. But I think, you know, with that shutdown and, you know, we look at all of our options and, you know, like I said, Mr. Malone kind of took everything head on. And so you know, we sit down we say, okay, how do we, get more business to go? How do we have our food available with ease for, you know, our customers in that online ordering? Um, just getting it up and running was pretty amazing. And, and, you know, to this day, it's amazing. You know, on a Saturday night, you have almost a pre-service service service with to-go food, which is pretty amazing. And it's kind of definitely helped the business. And I think it's here to stay as well. You know, I think in the future, you know, everyone that build out this online ordering. You're not going to put it to the wayside. You're going to continue to use it. And, and people are going to be able to eat at restaurants that they normally would only be able to dine in. So I think it's, you know, I think it's going to grow the restaurants here in Houston and everywhere else.
0: To what do you credit having gotten through those, those difficult couple of, it's, it's still, it's still a struggle in, in your industry, but it was particularly bad in those first weeks and months i've heard from others and other businesses, and they a lot of them were very, very pleased with the fact that m- many of their best customers made a point to continue to to be customers. The feeling of teamwork among the staff you know a, a bit of selflessness we we were in this together and we're i I think that was not just a hallmark card for so many businesses. I think that really happened and i'm wondering if you got glimpses of that at we saw Tony's
2: for sure. I mean, Tony's, our clientele is amazing. Um, we've been very lucky with people that have been dining with us, you know, since the restaurant opened, you know, in that aspect and just the generosity of people, the dedication, even if people are still not comfortable coming out to eat, they're calling in and getting food to go. And I think that's so important. And the staff just willing to do anything that we need to do, you know, with the, the masks and the sanitation and all that extra effort that's going in, especially now more than ever. You know, people are willing to do whatever we need to do to stay open and to be open and to be able to serve food. And I think, you know, it really shows a lot about the Houston community and, you know, all the great people that live here.
3: Well said. Uh, I, I really want to thank people of Houston through this platform. Believe me, I've never seen a people like in Houston. So diverse, at the same time, so supportive. Oh, my God. We have a repeat clientels. They've been to the restaurant like seven times, eight times, in just a matter of seven months. It's unbelievable. If they like you, they love you. And, and the kind of support that I have got and our restaurant have got, it's unbelievable, unbelievable. I can't thank enough to the people of Houston and uh, believe me and i'm looking forward uh, you know for people to come out all, like everybody to come out you know so that we have more people dining in they have a great experience one thing that i really miss we wanted to start the start the chef tasting in the restaurant but we could not it will be the sh- biggest showcase you
0: have a beautiful room the, the restaurant is is gorgeous it's m- many different rooms 10000 square feet it's like a palace Oh, yes. And there's one of the many separate spaces is specifically designed, is it not, for your chef's tasting? Chef's
3: tasting. And uh, it'll be like a 14-course chef's tasting, and the entire uh, room is designed for that. And uh, I can't wait to showcase that room and showcase uh, our food to the people of Houston, uh, paired with wines and cocktails at the same time, or the water pairing as well, for the people who are not really into wine and cocktails. That will be the biggest showcase of Masafir ever. When do so, you expect
1: that to open? The moment oh.
3: this craziness is over, so uh, I can't wait. Absolutely. That will be the biggest showcase, as I said. been uh, distributed and, you know, people are getting vaccinated, so hopefully very soon.
0: Lots more to talk about with Kate and Mayank and Austin, and we will get to all of it in the next episode of City Book Income. City Book & Company is a production of CityBook Media and Milieu Media Group. This episode was produced, edited, and mixed by Luke Brawner. The music you've heard in this episode was licensed from Blue Dot Sessions. Artwork is designed by Patrick McGee. You'll find links to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter in the show notes. Visit HoustonCityBook.com for the latest news and notes on the most fascinating city in America.